Well, I invite you to turn with me in the Bible to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, you've got plenty of time to turn there because I'm going to work our way through a little bit of an introduction for our message today and also uh, an overview of where we've been. We are at our last message in the I Am uh, sayings of Jesus Christ that are in the book of John. These sayings we mentioned early on where Jesus is introducing uh, himself to us. He's telling us who he is, just like you and I might uh, walk up to somebody and say, I am so-and-so, maybe tell them a little bit about what we do. I am from here. Uh, Jesus is introducing himself to us. So we've been learning about that, and we've also been seeing, we looked at a number of different applications of this, One that we haven't focused in on as much that's particularly interesting this week, it plays over into all of the I am sayings, but it's particularly interesting this week. At the end of chapter 14, we're we're not going to read it, but Jesus says, you know, let us rise and go. And it sounds, we read it in the the English, it it just sounds like, okay, let's get up and get going. But the, the original language carries much more of the idea, let's Let's get going on our mission. Let's go to battle. Let's engage with the calling that God has for us. And so one of the things I want to talk about today by way of overview for where we've been before we get to the verses for today is what it looks like to draw upon these I am sayings. They're There are things about Jesus that we're invited to believe about him, that we're invited to embrace at the core of who we are. So they're not just, he's not just telling us these things about himself uh, flippantly. They're meant to be realities, pictures of who Jesus is that we receive and that are transformative to us. And one of the things they're meant to do is to propel us out. And that's a hard thing for us. So I wanted to think about the different I am sayings we've looked at and how they relate to that. Think uh, a number of weeks ago, if you were here, we talked about Jesus being the bread of life, the bread of life. In a sense, that answers a core question for us. You know, where do we get the energy, the sustenance in our soul spiritually to be people who don't just look at ourselves and live for ourselves but who are looking outwardly, who begin to to engage genuinely in the lives of others through a life group or a small group, for instance, right? That's one of the things that we're going to be encouraging folks to connect with or reconnect with in the next couple of weeks as we start off a new season of ministry. How do I become a person that realizes, uh, number one, that I need the benefit of those relationships? Number two, that I can be used to pour in and invest in others? Well, how do we have the energy to do that, the strength to do that? We've got to rely on Jesus to be our sustenance, the bread of life. Uh, how, how do I have the uh, energy, maybe, to start some kind of an after-school Bible club for the, the kids that are around me and around my kids when I, I barely feel like I can keep up with them myself, right? How, how do I have that? Well, I've got to get a strength, sustenance from somewhere else. How do I have the the strength and purpose to begin as we move into this fall? And a lot of these ministries are happening. They're going to require resources. How do I have the strength to to contribute what God would have me to, to the work of his 
kingdom, uh, not just to wait till that extra money appears, but to be deliberate about giving to God's work. How do I speak to a, a neighbor or coworker about my faith when I don't feel like I have the capacity to? Well, Jesus feeds us. He gives us what we need. So he's the bread of life. We saw uh, six weeks ago or so that he was the light of the world. The light of the world. This reminds us that not only are we invited to see through Jesus the world through God's vision and picture, but we're invited, especially as we know God's word better, to help others to see, to help others to be able to get a picture for God's kingdom. So it's not just that we're invited to to see through Jesus, we're invited to help others begin to see. How do we do that? Well, we can't give others light unless the light's shining into our lives, particularly the light of God's word. The good shepherd and the sheep gate we saw in chapter 10, I guess it was, maybe three or four weeks ago. What does it look like to receive God's shepherding care. So he's, Jesus is the ultimate shepherd over you and me. He's tending the flock. But then he doesn't just intend for us to absorb that and receive it. He wants us to then be people who are looking around and saying, how do I tend the flock that he's given to me? How do I tend the people that are around me in my workplace, maybe that are on my team? How do I tend the people that are in my family to help them grow? How do I watch over and protect them? How do we in the church watch over and protect one another to grow in the faith? So we're looking outwardly. And then, of course, we saw that Jesus is the resurrection, that incredible passage just a couple of weeks ago. And, and we can think about the blessings, again, that we enjoy because Jesus is the resurrection. If we've put our trust in him, we know where we're headed in eternity we know the hope that we've got, the joy from that, even as Jesus demonstrated with Lazarus. But more than that, we're freed up. You and I are liberated to then be able to give uh, and invest our lives in others around us. If you got the ultimate destination taken care of, if it's secure, then you and I can be liberated, be free to, to look around us and see how can we serve, love, invest in others. Last thing we saw just a week ago, uh, I was out of pocket, but Garrett did a wonderful job again uh, walking us through John 14 when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he talked about that gospel reality that Jesus offers the way. That that's, that's the reason we're seeking to share the gospel. That's the reason we're seeking to uh, be an, an outward-focused church in our community, that we're praying for the other gospel-centered churches in our community as well, that we're going on mission trips, is because we believe that Jesus is the hope, the only hope for all of us. And we're even going to be uh, offering a Sunday school class starting next week on how to be making disciples. And I was thinking about that. You know, we, we, we aren't going to become people who desire to invest in others and help them grow deeply in their relationship with Christ if we don't really believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. When we embrace that, then we're, we're going to want to pour into, find out how do I become a person who invests in others spiritually. So that's, where, that's a little review of where we've been slash thinking about where we've been in light of living missionally. What does it look like for you and I to live on mission right here, not just on the Peru uh, trip, uh, but right here. 
Today, I'm going to take a look at John chapter 15 and look at the last of the I am sayings where Jesus says that he is the vine. And I think that's enough introduction. So let's read uh, together. You read along silently. I'll read aloud John 15, starting at verse 1, and we'll go down through about uh, verse 17. Jesus said this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch that withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. It will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that your joy, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And then listen to these last few verses. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you may love one another. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray as we take a few minutes to wrestle with what Jesus is telling us here about himself and to delight in it that you would pour out your spirit and bless us today, that you'd strengthen us for the calling and work that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my wife Patience and I will both, I'm sure, readily confess that neither one of us, between our four thumbs, there's not a one of them that's anywhere near the shade of those chairs. I mean, we do not have a green thumb among us. And uh, she's closer to it than, than I am. But I, I decided this, uh, this summer to, to try something out. I've got this pergola thing that I put together on our back porch. And it came with this tarp deal, but the tarp is not porous. And so with the rain in Alabama every three days, it's always getting water caught in it and sagging and so forth. So I had in my mind this nice little area on our back porch. We like to hang on our front porch too, but our back porch where we could get out, have a little shade and so forth. And it's just not happening. 
And my neighbor right across the way, uh, she, her, her thumb looks like this thing right here. She just hold up her thumb. It would look about like that. She can grow anything she puts her, her mind to. And she's got these vines that are growing all the way across this uh, archway, this trellis. And so I said, Crystal, how do I do that with my pergola? Let's get the natural thing going. Let's grow some vines across this. It'll be a nice plant. We'll have some shade. It'll shed the water. And when it rains, we'll be good to go. So I went out and attempted to get some the vines that she told me to and brought them in. I didn't really think about it too much because the, the porch is kind of like this. The ground's all the way down there. So I had to get these big pots that we had and plant the two vines in there. And I put them up against the, the posts on the pergola. And I sort of have been carefully, every time I think about it, going out there and taking the branches and trying to twist them and arrange them. Yeah, help them. Go, go, branches, go. Do your thing. Grow over the pergola. And, uh, and, and they really, I don't know what's happening. I'm not sure we're staying still. I don't think we're losing ground. I don't see a whole lot of movement growing. But I'll tell you what, I'm, I, if, you, if you want me to take care of your vines, I'm not the guy to call. I'm not the guy to call. Uh, the, the, the vines are hopefully going to do something. But, uh, but right now, they're just, they're just kind of sitting there. But it, it made me think about this passage. Because I thought about, you know, the picture I have is, and I look across that fence and see what is in my neighbor's yard. And she's got two, hers is too large. She wants to trim it back. I said, you know, bring some of that over here. But my, my picture is to have this thing that would be like this place of uh, peace and rest and shade and all of those good things that the vines would bear that fruit. But it's not quite getting there, right, the way I would like for it to be. Well, I thought about that in light of today's verses and what Jesus says about vines and growing. Uh, in a sense, it's kind of a mirror image of the very first of the I am sayings, the bread of life, which is sort of sustaining on food. The vine is being sustained because it's, it's engrafted, it's connected into the branches of the, the root. And, and so maybe a, a main idea for us today to to wrestle with and to think about, gosh, there's a lot in these, these verses that we could, could uh, consider. It's, it's just this, and I think it's in your worship guide in the back section if you want to follow, that because Jesus is the true vine, we should rejoice that we are engrafted and seek to flourish as his branches in the world. Now, we could spend a lot of time just on verse 11 of John 15, which says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's, that's powerful to meditate on. So we know that one of the things that Jesus wants us to do with this final I am saying is to just bask in the fact that he is our joy. He's our delight. He delights in us and God delights in us through him, and we can have joy in our lives, whatever we're facing, whatever we're dealing with, because of his presence, because we're connected into the vine today, right? It's a picture of flourishing because I'm rooted, uh, tapped in, connected into something that's flourishing even more than I am. So I guess an opening question for us today is, uh, have we been meditating lately? Have we been basking lately in the fact that we are connected in 
If we're in Christ, if we've come to know him and embrace him for salvation, we're connected in to that vine that is Jesus. And that is a tremendous privilege for you and me. And maybe if we haven't been meditating on that or, or delighting in that, what's, what's preventing it? What's keeping us from enjoying it? It's interesting, though, as we quickly move into these verses, it tells us it's not, this is probably one of the simpler I am sayings, really. God is the vine dresser, right? He's tending to the vine. Jesus is the vine, and then we are the branches connected in. So that I think we can get. What's interesting about that is how it sort of twists and spins a larger biblical picture. And the larger biblical picture that's all over the Old Testament is that God's people are the vine. Which I guess implies that we're also sort of the branches as well. But the emphasis throughout the Old Testament, it's in places like Psalm 80, Isaiah 5, Jeremiah 2, Jeremiah 12, big time in Ezekiel, both 15 and 17, and then it's in Hosea 10. Those are just a couple of places where it talks about the fact that God's people are a vine. And if we have a moment, I'll I'll dial back and we'll read a couple of those. But uh, for sake of time, I'll just tell you, they, they speak about the fact that God is graciously planting the vine. One of them, Psalm 80, says he brings God's people out of Egypt and plants them. But then almost immediately in all of the passages, there's some sort of rebuke or corrective to basically say, where is the the fruit on the vine? And here's what God is doing because there's not the fruit on the vine. So he's, he's doing some pruning as we see in the Old Testament there, always, of course, there's an ultimate picture of hope. There's ultimately a picture, even in some of the bleakest passages there, that God's going to plant this new seed. I guess Ezekiel 17 would be one that we can turn to just real quickly, because that one stood out to me, and I'll just read the last, very last part of it. Ezekiel 17, verse 12 this is so, so there's sort of this rebuke implied because so often the Old Testament people, just like you and me, got off track and didn't live rooted in the vine, didn't abide in the, in, as the vine in God, and they didn't bear the fruit that they were supposed to. Verse 22, though, it says, this is after another description, a corrective from God. Verse 22 of Ezekiel 17, thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar. So we've shifted analogies here to a tree, but you follow along with me. It started out with a vine. I will break off the topmost of its young twigs, a tender one, and I will plant it on high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches Birds of every sort will nest, and all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree and make high the low tree, dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. That's something, isn't it? On the one hand, it's a picture of what we see today. We see the church growing and prospering, even in its weakness, even in its fallenness, providing great blessing 
uh, being uh, a cause for justice, speaking forth for justice in God's name, showing forth the love of God, serving and blessing people all over the world. We see that growing and flourishing. So this picture is interesting because we see it in the Old Testament. And then what I want you to see about the passage that Jesus says is he says he's the vine. So we have once again this reality that Jesus is going to do what we, the people of God, fail to do. He's going to do it perfectly. It's all over the scriptures, and it's here again. He's going to be the vine for you and for me. One other passage I want to look at before we draw a couple of application points, Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 uh, for us, if you want to uh, look there. Uh, the, The analogy there is a vineyard, is a vineyard. And it carries forth into the New Testament. So I showed you a bunch of stuff in the Old Testament. Let's take a look at the New Testament real quickly. We're not going to have time to take a look at Romans 11, I'll tell you right now. But that's another place where it speaks about the blessing of being engrafted and what that means. But you've maybe read this passage before or heard it or seen it, Mark chapter 12. And it describes the beautiful reality of Jesus and what he does for us, the vine, the vineyard says, he began to speak to them in parables. Uh, Chapter 12 of Mark. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went out to another country. There's a lot in there. Basically, he set up the vine. It's supposed to produce something, right? You don't have a vine press unless you're expecting there to be some grapes and turn it into some wine. So it's supposed to yield something. And then he's leased it. So he's put other people in charge of it in a sense. We can follow that analogy. When the season came, verse 2, he sent a servant to the tenants to get get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Kind of an odd turn to the story. Again, he sent them another servant, and they struck him on the head, treated him shamefully. Then he sent another, and they killed him. Then they sent many others. Some they beat, some they killed. He had still one other a beloved son. Finally, he sent them to him, sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him. The inheritance will be ours. They took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He'll come and destroy the tenants, give the vineyard to others. Have not you read the scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. That was the picture of how the people of God responded to Jesus and rejected him as he came to to see the fruit of the vineyard that should have been coming from the people of God. So we see these pictures all throughout Scripture. Let's turn to John 15 again for just a few minutes and talk about a couple of application points. The first one is something that God does to us And then the next three that we'll hopefully have time to touch on are things that we're supposed to do in response to God in this whole idea of being a vine and growing. The first one is is a tough one to embrace. It tells us this, that God's the vine dresser in verse 1, that God is doing this work of pruning. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Like, oh, okay, I get that, you know. Not doing what you're intended to do as a branch, removed. 
But then the second part of this, every branch that does bear fruit, that sounds good. Bearing fruit, right? He prunes. He prunes. We've got these bushes in the front of our house. Um, this will tell you a little bit more of my green thumb debacle that um, I don't even remember what was originally there when we first moved in. They're the ones that sit like right to the either side of the sidewalk. They're supposed to be prominent and like look really nice. If you don't see anything else at the front of the house entering the doorway, you're supposed to see these plants. So uh, understandably, my wife and I have tried to get those things squared away. Well, we tore out the old thing, whatever was there. I think it sort of died uh, of its own accord. And then we planted something else. I don't remember what that was. And especially the right side, it just just completely died almost immediately. I tried digging the big hole. I know all of you out there that are wonderful landscaping people are like, no, you know, you're supposed to dig the hole, put the mulch in, do this, you know, fertilizer. I get it. I do all of it. It's all been done. Anyway, finally, we get the knockout roses. They're like fail safe. No one can kill these things. That's why they're called knockout, I guess. They can't be knocked out. And, and so we get the knockout roses things, and still the one on one side is dying like a couple of years ago. So finally, I dig the biggest hole. That hole was as big as this pulpit. And, and finally, on the right side, try to get it growing. I even flipped them because I was like, let's do a little test. Are these plants bad? Did I just happen to get a bad right plant? I don't know what's on the right side. Anyway, just a couple of months ago, these insect things or something starts getting on, again, only the right one, just trying to take it out. And there's this spray that you can spray on it. But they said, before you spray it, it was already, I mean, they were just like, looked like twigs or just sort of dead branches with a few little leaves there. They said, you've got to prune it back first. I thought, there's, there's almost nothing left here. There's almost nothing there. And you want me to cut it back further? That doesn't seem to work. It's the, the few leaves that are there are going to be gone. But I said, do it. So cut it on back. Sure enough, I think we went out of town to the Peru trip. We had sprayed some of that spray on it too, came back. And now that thing is almost back to the normal way that it was before. It was hard to prune it back, right? And it's hard to be pruned. We've had some pruning, I know, in our lives and in our household this summer that the Lord's been doing with us. And I tell you, it's really, it's unpleasant. But if you've had that in your life, if you have it going on right now in various ways, it draws you into deeper fellowship with God if, if we will look that direction. It draws us into abiding with Him. And, and so a question for us today is, you know, where, where's God been pruning you? Where's God been pruning me lately? And in that pruning, are we seeing Him not trying to harm us, because he's not trying to do that here. He's trying to help us. He's trying to help us be who he's designed us to be. And, and, uh, and in that, are we, are we able to turn to him and the life that he'll provide for us? So that leads us to the second thing, which is the, the first of three things that we're invited to do. And the first one, I put remaining in, the, in your outline, but the passage has abide. I'm not sure why I did that to confuse us, but you get the idea. Now, abiding is, that's a, that's a funny little word. I mean, we can think about abiding in the woods. We're watching, again, that show we love alone. You know, where the people go out in the woods and they're there for like 50 days. I would describe that as they're abiding in the woods. They're just dwelling there. They're existing in the woods. Uh, we can think about maybe abiding with a friend or in a relationship. You're like in constant companionship and fellowship 
with that, that person, so you're abiding in it. Maybe the opposite of it would help us to think about it. What's the opposite of abiding? Think about that for a minute. The opposite of abiding would be like just popping in, right? If the opposite of me abiding at your house would be if I just stop by, hey, wave, and then head on out. I'm not, I'm not staying for very long. I'm not, we're not getting to know one another. We're not spending that much time together. Or I guess the complete opposite of abiding would be I never show up. I completely stay away. I'm not with you. I'm not in relationship with you. If you look at verse 7 in John chapter 15, I don't need to show you the places it shows abide because it abides in like half of these verses. The word abide is there. But look at verse 7 in particular. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. One of the things we see here is that abiding in God means that we're people of the book. We're people who know God's word. And that's and that's uh, how we have relationship with them. That's a reminder for us. Some of us are probably prone to be pretty disciplined and pretty regular with either being involved in a Bible study through the church or maybe personal devotional reading. But sometimes maybe we tend to do that, and it's, it's a task. It's a spiritual duty rather than a vehicle or avenue to know God and to relate to God. So the Word is meant to help us abide and know God. Others of us, maybe we're not spending any time connecting with God's Word. Of course, we're encouraging everyone as we enter a new season of ministry to plant a stake and say, I'm going I'm to be here at 840 every Sunday morning. I'm going to be ready for the worship, worship service to begin because I want to grow in God's Word. Uh, next week, we're, we're, we won't even call it a bait and switch. We're going to tell you what we're doing. Next Sunday, we're doing a fun thing at 1045 right after our Sunday school time. And guess what that's designed to do, folks? You're going to feel trapped, and that's exactly what we're trying to do because we want you to come to church next Sunday, and we want you to try to come to Sunday school at least one time and think about whether that might be part of your regular spiritual growth. No one's going to twist your arm, but we're going to have some little treats and fun, bouncy houses and snacks and everything outside at 1045. So that's because we want to help you get close to God through God's Word. That's one of the ways we abide in God. So, you know, one of the questions we've been asking around our house, young people, maybe you can, uh, you can, maybe your parents have said something like, like this to you, you know, let's draw a ratio of comparison between hours spent on video game time and just minutes spent in prayer and Bible reading. I'm not even trying to put hours to hours. That would be ludicrous of me as a father, but uh, let's put hours to video game time to minutes of prayer and Bible reading time for kids. Young ones, you can pick up this book, and maybe your mom and dad can help you a little bit. You can read it. You can abide in God. You enter in a new week of school, a lot of y'all are uncomfortable, concerned about friends. Who are you going to know? Who are you going to meet in your classroom? How's it going to go with the school? I'll tell you, God's probably giving you an opportunity, young ones, where he's pruning you, inviting you to come close to him in this week, to abide with Him. How do we do that? We do that through the Word. We do that third, third item through prayer, through praying. Jesus invites us several times here to pray. It's a reminder. He's pray we're praying for fruit to be born, right? We're not just praying for stuff for ourselves, more toys or more trinkets. The whole idea of prayer in here is prayer to flourish for God's kingdom. So we want to be praying for our church that way, for one another that way, and then lastly, Jesus tells us these awesome things about how much he loves us. Uh, he says in verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another. Greater love has no one than this, 
that someone lays down his life for his friends. Again, um, you know, as we enter into a new season, uh, you know, a lot of us sort of back in town, maybe you're forming new relationships through your kids' uh, activities or school classes, adults, uh, maybe young ones you're getting into a new class. It's an opportunity to live this out, to say, this great one has loved me. I can bear fruit as I'm attached to God's vine by showing love to others. And then the last thing Jesus says, this. Wow, this is, this is beautiful. Verse 15 says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. What a privilege that Jesus tells us in these verses that he's that close to us. As a friend abides with another friend, has a relationship with them, Jesus wants to have that kind of relationship with you and me. Let's pray.